Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 40. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are jumping into chapter 3 of Prisoner of Azkaban, The Night Bus. Or, as we like to call it, Public Transit Woes. This entire chapter is basically Harry thinking that he's going to be arrested and he's on the run from the ministry, which is so funny. <laughs> it's like that you're just really gullible as like a young teen, I feel like, and... Harry's um, impression of the ministry has been the letters he got last book when Dobby was doing magic. Yeah, threats. They're just threatening him, like, if you do magic, we'll expel you. And he did magic, so he's like, oh, well, I'm obviously expelled, so I'm just going to go get my money and run away. Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst. I mean, given what he knows, it's the correct assumption. This is so much worse than what he did that they threatened him with expulsion with. So it makes sense. And he does have lots of money. So, I mean, it would suck, but he could live himself a quiet, pleasant life, I think, with all his boatloads of money. I just find it funny that he's just, it's so very, like, teenage angsty, where he's like, I'm gonna go live my life as an outcast. And he's just so, like, downtrodden and stuff. And it's just... You know he's listening to My Chemical Romance. and It's such a melodramatic, like, part of the chapter. It just, it's so funny, especially reading it now, like, knowing that when we were young, like, this would have been, like so a big such a big thing and i was just like this funny antidote yeah it's the end of the world yeah so i just shows how age changes you honestly though the plan he comes up with isn't that bad the whole putting on his invisibility cloak making his chest and bags and stuff hover behind him and just flying his broom to london like given the circumstances of you've already committed enough crime that you're a fugitive so i mean it's a good idea it's clever he's covered with the cloak he's good at flying it get his money retire quietly <laughs> it's pretty thorough thinking for harry there were like three steps in his plan and he came up with it all by himself yeah he's pretty smart uh, we get a little bit of serious black foreshadowing before harry gets onto the night bus where he just kind of has a feeling he's being watched and he turns around and he's like he doesn't say it's a dog but he sees some kind of wild animal lurking in like driveway i feel like my first thought would be like oh no a raccoon yeah i don't know a raccoon's like big in the uk i feel like that's like a city thing here oh, i don't know i'm guessing they're i don't know i don't know what they would have rats <laughs> it's a giant rat <laughs> that would have been worse than a giant dog seeing yeah, yeah honestly <laughs> yeah and he falls over and that cues the night bus <laughs> summons the night bus first things first i love the idea of the night bus i love that it seems like this like underground sort of off kilter unexpected like everything else seems so structured in the wizarding world in a way and this is just like chaos welcome to chaos transit it's it's a lot like public transit in the muggle world it's an absolute shit show i do find it interesting that because they don't really use public they don't need public transit really in the wizarding world so the one public transit they do have is completely wacky and like crazy it just makes sense. Completely unsupervised. Like, yeah, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm sure there's not like a big citywide like company that runs the transit. It's just one like privately owned bus of madness. Yeah, just one bus. And it's worldwide. <laughs> I think it's very, very weird that there's beds on the night bus. Like I understand the idea of it in that it's nighttime. It's the night bus beds. But like... And I understand how, like, sleeper cars on trains work, where, like, you have a little closed-off area in your bed. But, like, the night bus is just a bed out in a public place. Like, that is very uncomfortable to me. I'm like, no, just have comfortable seats. Like, maybe it's because I'm a woman, and to me, I couldn't imagine, like, falling asleep on public transit and waking up 
in one piece with both of my like kidneys you know interesting because i think in this book it's at beds because it's at night but when harry rides in order the phoenix it's just a bunch of like random mismatched chairs all crammed together see i'm comfortable or more comfortable with that just the idea of like a bed because like beds have like sheets and based on the like chaos you know nobody's laundering those sheets how long has it been how many people have laid in those bed sheets like it gives me the heebie-jeebies i realize that there's serious things happening but i'm so thrown by the beds on the bus yeah public transit's probably the one place i don't want to sleep never let your guard down <laughs> yeah it's pretty high up there it's not safe I also think it's interesting, like, we meet Stan for the first time, and he's interesting because, like, we've met older adults, like, we've met, like, parents, and we've met kids, but he's, like, a young adult. He's, like, it's sort of, like, the first, like, oh, this is a job, and this is what I could become, and he's just, like... Just Stan. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have so many, like, I have so many questions, like... How did he get the job as the bus attendant for the Wizarding World? Like, was he really, really good at magic in school? And then his magic helps run the bus? Like, he helps it, like, manipulate space and atoms and molecules and, like, negotiate its way around buildings and stuff? Or was he really bad at magic in school and the bus in itself has all of the enchantments to run itself and he just, like, he has, like, an entry-level service job? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's like a customer service job because like, they don't have university or college in the Wizarding World, as far as we know. Like, I feel like certain jobs have extra training, like healers and orers, but generally people just go straight, you graduate at 17, you go right into the workforce. So I feel like this customer service job, maybe he didn't get the marks to go right into the ministry, like we know Percy did, and all Ron's brothers have pretty high, like, cool jobs but I feel like this is a general job like you know to get experience he's only 19 too so I feel like it's just you're like your first job like in between college or something where you're just trying to like earn some money saving up to travel yeah try, just trying to live your life you don't really know what you want to do yet. or maybe it's his passion well, maybe, maybe he loves it I mean maybe he loves buses maybe he's like really into being you know quirky weird maybe he's the opposite of like motion sickness like he's only not ill if he's oh, in motion driving around like crazy <laughs> yeah I also think it's interesting because, like, we get a bit of his personality. Like, he's a bit of, like, a gossip, and he, he likes to know things, and he's a bit blunt. And I feel like maybe he really likes talking to strange people and absorbing weird information and, like, judging them. And it's the job if you want to see a bunch of people and judge them. Absolutely, a weird nighttime bus is a good place to go to judge people. Yeah, I just think this dam's not that great at customer service because when Harry, like, he meets Harry, he's just like, Why are you on the floor? Like, and Harry's like, I fell over. He's like, Why'd you fall over? He's just like, What'd you fall over for? Interrogating this, like, kid. And my other thing is the fact that, like, Ern and Stan are not, don't seem very concerned that Harry's, like, a kid. Like, I don't know in the movie if like he looks older, but like he's very obviously 13. They're not paid to ask questions. They're paid to bus. It's the middle of the night and they're just like, yeah, come on the bus and we'll take you wherever you want to go. And they're not really concerned that this 13 year old has a bag and he's like, oh, why himself? No parents? It's not their business. You know, they, they've, <laughs> I mean, they're curious if they can gossip about it, but they're probably like, we don't really care if some random kid is running away from home. There's cooler things to gossip about, like serious Black, you know? Who knows? They just don't care, probably. I, they're probably bored. They're like, we don't want to interfere with this kid's home life. It is what it is. We're not babysitting. Yeah, I do wonder if it's just like, because it's at night, they're just kind of like, yeah, whatever, because weird things happen at night anywhere you work. But I wonder if like the daytime people would be like, 
kid, do you have ID on you? Like, how old are you? Where are your parents? Oh, he's just a, he's just on the night shift. Someone else is the daytime night bus driver. I remember when I worked nights or the like the closing shifts. I didn't care about anything. It's just like what you do. Like that's the morning shifts, bro. <laughs> I also think in regards to stan not being good at customer service just because you're not good at it doesn't mean you don't enjoy it in fact maybe he enjoys being bad at it life's little pleasures i'm sure he enjoys it but it's just it's just very stark the way he's maybe it's just because harry's younger and he just he he doesn't really care that much what harry thinks of him compared to like older clientele but it's just very funny he's just like interrogating harry the first like five minutes he meets him. I do think growing up when reading The Night Bus, it sounds so cool and amazing, but since I live in a city where I primarily use public transit to get around, like I don't drive or anything, this night bus seems like a death trap and you couldn't pay me to go on it. Yeah, I feel like the first time I read it too, I was like, I love the whimsy and the magic and the chaos of it, but also I was like, oh, he's 13 and he's taking the bus all by himself. That's so cool and independent. Yeah, we lived in a, a town, a really small town, so we didn't have public transit. Like we, we were too small to have public transit, if that gives you an idea. One of the interesting things is we actually get some like insightful things out of Stan Chenpank. Like he's talking about the muggles because Harry's concerned about whether or not they'll notice the bus. And Stan says, muggles don't listen properly, don't look properly. And I, I think that's really interesting because like muggles miss a lot. But I also sort of wonder like if maybe the way the magic works on the bus is kind of like one of those optical illusions where it just looks like a bunch of swirls or like abstract. But if you look at it long enough and intentionally, you can find there's actually an image in it of like a tiger or something. I feel like it's that kind of optical illusion where like even muggles could maybe see it if they knew what they were looking for. But because they're never looking for it. Yeah, they're not looking long enough for her to notice something. Exactly. But I think it's interesting that maybe there's one or two very perceptive muggles out there that are just like, I saw the thing again. I'll have to mention it to my therapist. <laughs> Up my meds. Another thing I kind of think is ironic as heck is Harry randomly picking a name when he gets on the bus and going with Neville Longbottom. Just because, like, he's like... First of all, he's just been thinking about Neville, clearly. He's just been, you know, who I like Neville. What a guy. But also, like... Because Neville could have been the chosen one, and the chosen one is choosing to be Neville. I don't know. It just feels very wholesome. I do love it because this book is where we kind of find about prophecies and stuff. So it's kind of foreshadowing a bit to the prophecy that could have been about Harry or Neville, and it went to Harry instead. So we're just—it's just kind of like some foreshadowing on like the whole like Harry's whole life could have been completely different. I feel like choosing the name Neville Longbottom, like choosing a name of someone you know is very much like, I can, it's quite Gryffindor. I'm sure a lot of the houses would do it, but I feel like a Ravenclaw would 100% just invent a name. Like, I feel like the creative, like, base of Ravenclaws would have come up with the most, like, subtle, not noticeable name that, like, nobody would ever question, that feels common, and no one will even remember. It's so boring. Like, oh, well, I'm, I'm Roger McLaggen. Okay, come on. You know, like, quick, easy. I feel like there's something very Gryffindor about, like, who do I know? And do I know any names? <laughs> Threads probably pre-plan their fake names. We've got them in our pocket. We're like, all right. Yeah. These are oh, yeah. They already have an alias. <laughs> so the night bus is described as being able to go anywhere on land. Like, Stan says it can't go underwater, which makes sense, I guess. But I'm just, like, the idea of, uh, imagine Harry just didn't go to London. He's like, anywhere in, like, on land, just take me to some random obscure place in, like, Central Europe. And, like, the ministry freaking out because Harry, like, left the UK. 
Yeah, I think as long as there's like an actual land path to the place, like he couldn't, the bus can't travel underwater at all. So like it's not like he could go to New Zealand, but he could totally just go to like Istanbul or like anywhere in like Central Europe. Yeah. Oh, he has to get to the bank first, though, right? All his money's in the bank. He has to get to the bank, then he can go somewhere fun and exciting. Yeah, I guess. Step one, money. Step two, mayhem. Another thing is that um, Harry notices that Stan's reading the paper, and he sees Sirius Black, who we saw in the Muckle News, and he's like, oh, hey, that's the guy on the Muckle News. And Stan kind of scolds him for not knowing who Sirius Black is and, like, not paying attention to, like, what's going on in the magical community. But, like, Harry's obviously a child, and there's the fact that, like, he said he saw him in the Muggle News, so wouldn't Stan infer that he could be Muggle-born? It's just like, just Stan's just just very much just like, I don't know. Stan is like, he's young, right? He's still a teenager. So he probably just like assumes that things he knows a lot about or feel like casual conversation are are things that everyone should casually know. Like sometimes you forget people live in different contexts than you when you're sort of young and you're wrapped up in your own stuff. But also I feel like any responsible adult who is a wizard who knows Harry to some extent has a responsibility to let him know that like there's a dangerous criminal on the loose. This is kind of things he's done. Like to me, the level of serious, <laughs> the level of serious that serious is, is something that like if Dumbledore were a responsible adult, like the students would have gotten letters at home over the summer. Like we're all very alarmed by the news of Sirius Black. We all know he's known for his crimes against muggles and wizards. These are the steps Hogwarts is taking to make sure their students are safe when they get to Hogwarts. These are the, like, if there were any responsible adults who considered Harry's well-being or the well-being at all of any of the muggle-born children, someone would have sent out a memo. But nobody actually cares about Harry's well-being beyond his corpse still having a heartbeat. So... Um, they're like, meh, he doesn't need to know things. He just needs to not die. Yeah, I just feel like Stan likes having information and he likes kind of, maybe because he's older and he's like done school and stuff. So he's like, I have all, kind of like how Percy is like, I have all this information and I'm just going to like lord it over you because you yeah. don't know. He's using it to feel superior. Although like Harry is 13. 13 year olds are the worst. Like you're superior to Harry by just not being a 13 year old. Yeah, true. <laughs> And another favorite part is in, like, the article where they talk about Sirius Black, they describe a gun as a metal kind of wand that muggles used to kill each other with. Damn muggles in their metal <laughs> wands. <laughs> it's weird that wizards wouldn't know what a gun is. Like, to me, like, they they don't, like, spend all their time around muggles, but that's, like, wizards could use guns. Wizards probably have heard of guns. Like, it just seems like a, like a, a goofy children's book thing to pretend that wizards don't know what guns are, because it's yeah. pretty, uh just malinformed about the state of the world it just seems really funny but i'm sure like they would i guess wizards that live like because most wizards live in muggle communities there's only like fully one or a few like full wizard communities that's like hawksmeat i think so they'd have to know something because i'm assuming that like this is still the 90s so people are still probably shooting each other that hasn't changed much yeah i mean like i mean like just like media in general right like even if like there's we know there's like wizard musicians and stuff but like there's got to be some exposure to muggle culture through like arts and media even if kids like learn about a new band they like through their friend at hogwarts who's muggle-born and they listen to them even just walking into town like in the 90s those gun gun toys were huge weapons army boys yeah so moving into some serious black discussion some serious serious discussion a serious a serious topic yeah 
let's get serious. I think it's interesting that one of the things we hear sort of from Stan is that to put serious in context, that sort of he was expected by a lot of people to become Voldemort's second in command if Voldemort had won the Wizarding War. And I think that's interesting because the things Sirius supposedly did for Voldemort, Peter Pettigrew did for Voldemort, and he is in no way in a position of power in that organization. So I think it kind of comes down to like attitude like it's 25% action but it's 75% charisma and like no one wants to take orders from Peter Pettigrew and like Peter Pettigrew doesn't feel dangerous he doesn't feel intimidating but he also doesn't have like a he's not a charismatic person you don't kind of want to follow him or listen to him it's probably very easy to ignore him but Sirius has a swagger you know and I feel like that's what it is it's like entirely Peter Pettigrew was not charismatic enough regardless of what his actions were to have any position of power or like respect but Sirius could have gotten that respect yeah I do wonder if people assumed this about Sirius because he was a black and the black family has like a lot of ties to Voldemort like Bellatrix is black and she's in the inner circle and her sister Narcissa Mary Lucius is in the inner circle so people just assumed like if if, if, if Sirius is of Death Eater, then, like, obviously he must have been very close to Voldemort because that's all the Blacks are. I mean, also, I suppose blood status. He was a pure blood. Peter Pettigrew was a whatever Peter Pettigrew was. So I guess that in that organization earns someone a little bit more respect. Yeah, one thing I find really weird in the books is that Peter being a Death Eater because I always saw Peter as, like, someone who... Like, he never really had a side. Like, he was on, like, the good side, I say in quotations, because James and Sirius and Remus were, and he just kind of, he's a follower. He just follows his friends, and he's doing what's best for him. And when they they were losing the war, and he was kind of, like, given a choice, like, either you become a spy for us or we kill you, he's like, he's going to be a spy. But I definitely found him, like, I don't know if they, he became a Death Eater more out of convenience, so they could kind of, like bully him into doing things because they don't trust him like they he betrayed his friends no absolutely he entirely all he does is do things for self-preservation i think like his friendship with james and sirius made him feel kind of cool because they were like cool dudes and they were popular but i think a lot of it was like protection like if he rolls with cool popular guys people won't pick on him as much he'll look cooler so he can just like get by on that and i think the same thing was when he ended up siding with the death eaters it was like okay I won't die if I'm on their side so I'm gonna do that and I'll do what they tell me because the alternative like he just wants to be protected and so what like if James and Sirius had pointed a wand at his face and said choose us or die he'd choose them but Voldemort did it so he chose him like he has no actual loyalty whatsoever he's just entirely self-preservation so I feel like him being a Death Eater is not the same thing as the other Death Eaters I feel like he was made Death Eater more so Voldemort could use him because he, since he has the mark like they end up using that and Goblet of Fire and stuff, but he doesn't trust him, which we know with like the Silver Hand and how that comes into play at the end of the series. Like he's just not, he doesn't have alliances. He is just, everything is what he is going to work out for him. When it comes to any like totalitarian regime, it gets to a certain point where like there's the people who passionately believe in the actual doctrine and beliefs of their leader and what they're fighting for. And then there's people who are just trying to keep themselves from getting killed and even though they're making the wrong choices they don't necessarily believe what they're fighting for but they can say it and pretend it if it keeps them out of trouble sort of and I think that's what Peter is he's just trying not to be dead that's it he doesn't have anything else to 
think about his values aren't strong enough to make him risk himself or his own safety in any way to stand up for what he believes in. So he's flimsy. Um, So they talk about how after Sirius Black supposedly commit the mass murder, they found him standing in the streets just like laughing. And I wonder if that was like uh, some sort of enchantment put on the witnesses to make it look like he was obviously guilty, or if he literally in that moment realized how screwed he was, what he'd been framed for, what had just happened, his friends are dead, and just like had a mental breakdown. And like, sometimes you cry, sometimes you scream. He just lost it completely and was laughing hysterically because it was so sad. I do think it's more of a just a response to everything because all this happened in like a night. So he goes over because he couldn't find Peter. So he goes checks on James, finds out that James is dead from Hagrid. And then immediately after that, he goes to find Peter because I'm pretty sure we find out later on in this book that both Remus and Sirius thought the other one was the spy. And then Sirius, so for the last however many months, thinks that Remus is the spy. And then finding out it's Peter, it's just like all of this just like emotional trauma of losing his friends, finding out that his friend betrayed him and got his friends killed, like all this. And then obviously being wrong about Remus too, like everything just like accumulated to like this point. And then the fact that Peter was able to like best him, I think he just kind of lost it. All that he could do at that point. Yeah, because sometimes like when things are so bad, like you can't even cry, you can't even scream. All you can do is just laugh. Yeah. Yeah, you just laugh. Like, I'm doomed. This is the worst. Complete break. Or serious. He really, that that was like, that'd be awful. Especially because like what he's like, what, 21 at that point? Like, what do you do with that situation? Oh my gosh. I feel like I would have had a breakdown on that level for something way smaller than like the death of my best friend. (laughs) He didn't even have time to like mourn the death of James and Sir and James and Sirius James and Lily, because a part of himself did die that day. Yeah, because he had to go find Peter, and then finding out that Peter like was the spy all along, it's just like he's just getting blow after blow. <laughs> Move on to our Azkaban discussion. Our Azkaban and consequences or lack thereof discussion. <laughs> There's never consequences, but uh, we get a bit of foreshadowing to the Dementors in this because Stan talks about like the Azkaban guards and Urn does not like them. Yeah, we don't get a lot about them, but we know they're intimidating and they seem to scare the crap out of these grownish and teenage dudes. I think it's he, funny that he describes the Dementors as uh, Stan, that Stan describes the Dementors as giving him the collie wobbles. I googled it, <laughs> and it refers to stomach pain or queasiness, or an intense anxiety or nervousness, especially with stomach queasiness. I'm going to have to use that word more often. Collie wobbles is a really cute way to put it, though. Like, next time I'm about to have a panic attack, I'm going to be like, it's the collie wobble! <laughs> yeah. I do find it interesting that Harry's, when they're talking about Azkaban and uh, the Azkaban guards that no one likes, Harry's just like, what if they, they what if they try to arrest me and put me in jail? And he's just thinking he's going to be put in jail for this accidental magic. And he's just like, yeah, they're going to throw me in wizard jail with all like the adults. <laughs> but also low key, Harry's like, oh yeah, I know about Azkaban. I had a friend that went there. All he knows is that no one liked Azkaban and everyone's scared of it. And he's like. I mean, it'd be weird if people liked it. Like what kind of, you know. I mean, I've heard the prisons in, like, Scandinavia are pretty swell. <laughs> Scandinavian prisons. Well, when they arrive in London, Harry thinks he's just going to run out to Gringotts, get his stuff in, ditch, and he walks right into Cornelius Fudge, Minister of Magic. 
the worst. I hate when politicians show up. You never want the politicians to be there. They're always there when you don't want them around. And of course, Cornelius Fudge ruins Harry's really, really great alter ego of Neville Longbottom immediately. Even though it's like they're like, wait, he said his name was Neville. Fudge can't just be like, oh, all right, bye. He's like, no, no, this is Harry Potter. I'm like, shut up, Cornelius. You're probably annoying Harry Potter already. You're not getting off on a very good foot. Well, Harry thinks he's getting arrested, so... But uh, I think it's funny that, like, after it's revealed that his name is Harry Potter, and they're like, okay, why'd you go by Neville Longbottom then? And then at the end, when, like, they're being told to leave, them being uh, Stan and uh, Ernie, they're like, okay, bye, Neville. They're like, all right, if he wants to go by Neville, we'll respect that, and we'll say bye to Neville. And I'm like, good for you. I think it's also teasing, too, that he's, like, lying about being Neville when he's literally famous. And they're like, okay, wink, wink, bye, Neville. (laughs) See what you gotta do. It's just like, that's cute. I like that he... So funny. So Harry is having, like, his first conversation with, like, Cornelius Fudge, like, one-on-one. And reading this reminds me of just, like, how different Cornelius treats Harry in this book compared to Or the Phoenix or, like, the end of Cup of the Fire. Like, it's just that Fudge is treating him almost like a favorite nephew. Like, he's treating him almost like, like, not fatherly, but, like, you know, very kindly. And he's, like, basically overlooking all the bad things he's done. And it's really nice to Harry compared to, like... Well, they're both different levels of damage control, right? Like, he's a politician, so optics is always his number one concern. And right now, there's an escaped serial killer who has a history with Harry Potter's family, and Harry Potter is missing. That's, like, pretty bad on a scale of, like, political footing. I feel like Fudge is also taking flack for this, so I feel like if Harry had gone missing and people would be more mad at him because... They'd be like, not only did you let him Sirius Black get out, you let him kill Harry Potter. Like, our savior yeah, of been. the wizarding world, how could you? And he get replaced because his big, biggest fear is getting replaced in office. Exactly. So, I mean, he's a politician. That's how it works. So, like, in this case, it benefits him to protect Harry because Harry is seen as, like, the innocent, the victim. Uh, and then in that case vilifying harry makes himself look good so it's entirely optics like he doesn't care here or there about harry potter yeah he kind of rolls with what, what the general public what, what the general public's doing so he looks good so yeah he right now harry is good in the wizarding world so harry is his number one priority which makes me think like if, if sirius hadn't escaped and wasn't like an issue and if harry had just like blown up the marge would he have actually gotten a punishment like obviously he wouldn't have been expelled or like or thrown in jail, but like maybe he would have had some punishment compared to nothing that happens now because Fudge is just more happy that Harry's like, you know, alive. He they have him in London and they can keep him safe now. Yeah, I think it's interesting because like we don't really know the levels of consequences because Harry usually gets none and then other people go to Azkaban. So like I feel like even if Harry Potter wasn't Harry Potter and he was just Sh- Seamus Finnegan, like if Seamus Finnegan blew up a muggle ant in the way Harry did. I don't think they could send him to Azkaban either because he's a 13-year-old boy. And to me, like, that's the kind of crime that doesn't get you a life sentence. And because we know Azkaban has huge psychological impacts on people, like it, the Dementors suck at your soul slowly, you're going to be depressed. Like, you could be permanently scarred if you got sent to Azkaban. They can't do it with the minors, right? Like, they can't be like, you screwed up once when you were 13, you're going to go to Azkaban, and even if you only get five years in Azkaban, when you get out, you're screwed forever. Like, I feel like that's unfair, and I feel like they have to have some middle ground. Like, I'm not, not like juvie, but kind of like that. Like, some way of reprimanding people who are too young to be forced to have their whole lives be ruined by one dumb choice they made as a child. I could see, like, a meeting or some kind of program if it was, like, a continued thing. But 
Harry's theory had a warning because like the first thing is like they'd be warned like you can't do magic and maybe the second time they would give you like a, like a warning in person with your parents being like you're not allowed to do this do it again yeah written warning warning in person i feel like community service would be a really good option for them like to me if you do a spell you don't really know on your aunt you should have to spend like there's two weeks left before the end of summer you should have to go and volunteer at saint mugo's in a ward where you're working with people who are victims to like poorly used spells so you're like oh shit this is the end result of what could have happened i have now learned the actual consequences for my actions and have sympathy for people on that side of it. I think like that would have been the ideal punishment, but I don't think the Wizarding World works in a way that is logical. Yeah, not really. <laughs> As we know. It's probably just like written notice, notice with your parents. I'm sure that if it was kind of like, it became more of like a, a bigger issue that they'd probably get like Dumbledore and like McGonagall involved because like it kind of affects Hogwarts too. Yeah, yeah, but... Definitely 13-year-olds should not go to Azkaban, unless they're, like, homicidal maniacs. Maybe, but... Harry just always jumps to the worst conclusion, because that's just his life. He's just like, obviously, I've done the bad thing, and now I'm going to be arrested. <laughs> now I'm going to jail. But worse, expelled. <laughs> so, Fudge is telling him how, like, no, Aunt March is fine, everything's fine, the Dursleys are, will take him back at the end of the year, but, you know, stay at school, and he's like, I never go home for the holidays i don't want to go back to the Dursleys. i don't like them and by just because kind of was like yeah 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 sure 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 he's so friggin dismissive of harry's feelings and experiences and i was like everyone just like harry doesn't outright say his bitters are abusive but like he says things that he's not fond of them and like no one really questions this they're just like oh you're like a kid like the weasleys obviously know more but like they kind of choose to just kind of like they don't outright say anything bad about the Dursleys. They're not allowed to do anything about it. Dumbledore sort of forbade it, so. Yeah. Yeah, but they're not allowed to do anything. So they do what they can. But, like, no people in, like, higher positions, like the freaking Minister for Magic or Dumbledore, who know what the Druids are doing, they're just like, actually, it's just, that's just fine. Just live with it. In the case of the Weasleys, they don't want to acknowledge to Harry that they know his family is abusive because they can't do anything about it. And then Harry will know that they are choosing not to do anything about it. And I think, like, that would make them look bad in a way they don't really deserve. So they're pretending not to notice so that Harry doesn't think, oh, the Weasleys don't care about me enough to protect me. He's like, oh, they just don't realize. Um, and in the case of Fudge, he just doesn't care, right? Like, he doesn't care if Harry's miserable at home. It's the least of his concerns. I also think that also Fudge does at this point in the book what Dumbledore wants him to do. He really relies on Dumbledore for, like, his time in office at this point. So Dumbledore says, oh, Harry has to stay at his his, his mother's sister's place. He can't go and live anywhere else. And I just like, you know what? Makes sense. That's fine. That's what we'll do. Totally. I mean, I think that's absolutely a huge part of it. Is it Dumbledore has made the decision that Harry's emotional safety and well-being and self-esteem do not matter. And everyone else values Dumbledore's opinion so much. They're like, yep, okay, that checks out. Freaking Dumbledore. But it doesn't. It doesn't. No. Not worth it. You know, it had, good thing Dumbledore actually left Harry some stuff in his will, because he owes Harry some shit. I can't wait till we get to Half Blood Prince, where Dumbledore confronts the Dursleys about like how they treat him, and I'm like, well, you know, this is about going on for like, like over half his life. <laughs> you, Albus Dumbledore, are an enabler. You enable this. Like, why are you picking now to be mad? Let's let's, let's, let's get the facts straight. 
Oh, one of the uh, cute little things I kind of like noticed was I thought it was particular that they, when Harry gets his room at the inn, they specifically say it's room 11. I was like, is 11 a significant number? Because normally it's seven in Harry Potter. They always pick seven for things. I was like, oh, 11, that's different. So I looked into it and 11 is apparently a very important number in numerology. It represents inner strength in times of trial and coping well in a crisis. That's cool. That is pretty spot on for in his situation. I think it's also cool it's in the third book because Hermione starts arithmetic, which is like the magic of numbers and stuff. So Numerology. Yeah, that's cool. Look at us making discoveries. <laughs> yeah, just nerding out over a children's book. So basically Harry has been told by the, the Minister of Magic that he should just stay at the Leaky Cauldron for the last three weeks before school starts. And I'm just thinking, this is like the best situation for a 13 month. Coolest thing that's ever happened. Like being able to stay in a hotel room by yourself and you can just leave and go into town and like you don't have to like listen to any adult that's telling what to do. It's like you committed a crime. Here is a lovely reward that is better than you could possibly ever imagine. It's just a huge amount of freedom for a 13 year old. Like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I was a little concerned with them kind of leaving Harry. Like is Tom the like innkeeper Loki babysitting Harry because like he is yeah I feel like he is he's 13 years old he's also the only way to defeat Lord Voldemort and there's a serial killer after him and the Minister of Magic's just like mm, stick around here don't stay out too late bye well I feel like he wants him to stay in Diagon Alley because Tom's obviously there so they know where he is and then I feel like he's probably put out word to like the other shopkeepers being like keep an eye on Harry Potter he's staying here until he goes back to school but it still feels kind of negligent. Like, in general, a 13-year-old without someone particularly keeping an eye on them for, like, more than a couple of hours seems a little bit reckless. But, like, Harry Potter? It just seems... Yeah, I feel like there was more... He probably just other things to worry about. Dumbledore's not going to do anything. He's just like... He's like, Dumbledore won't let Harry Potter die, so I'm just going to leave him here. Yeah. As long as we know where he is... It's fine. He's going to stay in Diagon Alley and he's staying at the Leaky Cauldron. He's going to stay at the hotel, mind his business, go shopping every day. <laughs> like Negligence. The negligence, you know, the negligence and lack of supervision gives me the collywobbles. <laughs> it sounds so cool, but like, okay, now looking at it now, I'm like, why would you leave a kid by themselves for three weeks? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and do they know how much money he has? Because, like, it's not like Fudge was like, do you have financial, like, do you have enough money with you? Like, here's some money to get you through until you can go to the bank. Like, he's just like, good luck. Like, good thing Harry's rich. I hope everyone knows Harry's rich. Otherwise, they're like, go busk. Yeah, Harry probably should have had some kind of financial advisor or something because I think we talk about it. It's in the next chapter. He's, like, doing all this school shopping, but he wants to buy all these cool things that he sees. But he's like, oh, probably shouldn't because I have, like, a few more years of school that I need to, like, pay for. And most 13-year-olds... But he's totally rich and he could buy himself some fun crap. Yeah, most 13-year-olds don't have that restraint when it comes to money. Yeah. I mean, I guess for him, he's so used to having nothing that, like... He he's more careful with when he has things. You know what I mean? Like he's just, he's more appreciative of things. So he's not going to rush and get everything. But I absolutely agree that someone should have sat him down and been like, because they just like let him go into his vault, take out as much gold as he want. No one counts how much gold. Like what if he takes not enough, thinks he has enough, goes to Hogwarts for the year and is like, oh, I only actually have the equivalent of $4. Turns out I can't 
I can't do things now. Like, he's an actual child. He should absolutely have, at minimum, like, Minerva McGonagall or something, sit him down and talk to him a bit about money. Like, okay, this is how much is in your account. This is, on average, what a student needs per year at Hogwarts. This is what rent is like in a nice neighborhood in London. <laughs> yeah. They just kind of left Harry to, like, you know, it's a miracle he still had money by the end of everything. And also... All that gold is just sitting in Gringotts. Do they not invest in the Wizarding World? Like, he could be earning so much interest. I don't think the goblins allow that. Only the goblins can invest. Oh, so the goblins are they're the elite. Well, I mean, the wizards did take, like, all, like, their, like, armor and swords and stuff that they made, so... Honestly, yeah, the wizards stole their shit. The least the goblins could do is hold their money and keep the interest. Pocket it for themselves. Good for them taking back what's theirs. So we end the chapter with Harry asking the Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge, to sign his permission form to let him go out to Hogsmeade in the school year. And I'm like dying of secondhand embarrassment because like I would never, like I get the, the con, like why Harry was thinking like, oh, he can sign it because he's the literal like prime minister of- He's in charge. So like they have to let me go if it was him. And just, he's just kind of like, Harry, I'm not your parent or guardian. Like, I can't do that. It's it's the reverse Darth Vader. Harry, I'm not your father. But I'm like, oh, Harry, just forge the signature already. Like, why are you, are you putting yourself through this? Why do you, no one knows what the Dursley signatures look like. But um, I also think that, like, Cornelius probably, like, is with Dumbledore and doesn't want Harry going into town because whatever it could be dangerous well he does he say that it's probably best he doesn't go so that's why he's like oh no i can't sign i'm not your parent or guardian and it's better that you actually don't go yeah don't don't go stay somewhere safe stay at hogwarts you'll be fine but also like i'm trying to imagine myself in a situation where like i guess the leader of our country like justin trudeau if i'm just like i'm just like walking down the road one day it's montreal going to a habs game justin trudeau's there and i'm like hey justin trudeau would you please sign my sick note for work tomorrow <laughs> I, uh, I'm not feeling so hot. They'll believe you. <laughs> like, oh, it's, it's such a, like, I can totally see the kid logic in it, though. You know what I mean? I could totally see a kid being yeah, like, like, his logic makes sense, but I'm just like, why? He outranks other people. <laughs> He's the authority. He'll let me. I mean, I guess it's kind of like if I wanted to take the afternoon off work and I, like, messaged the CEO of my company and I was like... I really think I should take the afternoon. And he's like, who the hell are you? Like, it's just like, he reached, he reached so far. Yeah, and he tries this even more in this book where he tries to like with McGonagall and stuff. I'm like, Harry, just forge the signature. Like, why? Like, people are going to say no. Gentle forgery is always appropriate. But, you know, Harry's a good guy. He wants to do things by the rules. And I'm just, the inner Slytherin in me is like, forge the signature. Just sign. I would have signed it. I would have signed it as soon as it arrived. I'd have been like, Cool, let's go. So we end the chapter off with him going to his room and Hedwig's there, the true MVP. And Tom, the innkeeper, says that, oh, like she turned out five minutes after you did. So Hedwig is a smart owl. She's a smart owl. She's probably like, oh, good. Harry finally flew the coop. Me too. And then she's just like, yeah, seriously. She's like, it's about damn time, Harry. She's like, finally, we're out of this nightmare. We deserve better. <laughs> yeah, so do you have any closing remarks before we wrap up the chapter? Uh, closing remarks. Um, don't abandon an unsupervised 13-year-old boy in a hotel for two weeks and say good luck. Especially- It's three weeks. I thought it was two weeks. Three weeks seems a lot. 
especially if they are the only hope for defeating the Dark Lord and also there's a serial killer after them, that's bad ideas all around. And that is why you do not get reelected. Just thinking being a teenager is hard. And of course, you're going to think uh, you're going to go to jail <laughs> for minor inconveniences. Yep. Yeah. I think that's it for us. So thank you for listening. And if you like this podcast, remember to subscribe to us. And if you don't, leave us a glowing comment. <laughs> yeah, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Follow us on social media at Pottery Visited, or you can email us at PotteryVisitedPodcasts at gmail.com for any. And we'll be back to discuss chapter four of Prisoner Rask Band, The Leaky Cauldron. Bye! Bye.